everybody, and welcome to the 369th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that's always ready to break realms to help protect your collection. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I am your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host is Cliff Daigle, at Word of Commander on Twitter. And we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hello, everybody. As always, I'm looking forward to diving into the new developments this week. But before we do, I want to remind our listeners that this show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Please sign up today at mtgprice.com to plan your specs, chat on an amazing Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Cliff, my friend, what is on the agenda this week? We've got uh, five segments to go through this week, James. We're going to lead off with our Metagame Week in Review. We've got the NRG Series 10K and a Pioneer Challenge to talk about. We've got the top movers this week uh, on paper, and then we'll talk about Magic Online movers as well. Then you and I have some uh, wonderful picks for the week about uh, cards that are worth buying right now. And then we'll lead off, uh, we'll end up with uh, some of the new Planeswalkers that have been previewed from March of the Machine, uh, specifically the new Ren and the new Elspeth. Alrighty, kicking things off with a big paper modern tournament. NRG's series had a 10k trial that had 281 players show up. First and second place were taken by Creativity Combo, running four Archon of Cruelty, four Indomitable Creativity, uh, one Transmogrify, four Fable of the Mirror Breaker, four Renin Six, and an assortment of related control spells. We have Jeskai Breach. I don't know, was it Jeskai or was it Blue Red? Yeah, it was Jeskai. There's a Teferi Time Raveler in there. Uh, also a Haywire Might. So there was a Breach Quasi Aggro deck. It's hard, hard. This is actually a grinding station build, so it's more of a combo deck with an early game. I mean, you've right. got four Ledger Shredder, four Ragavan, so you're definitely some version of aggro. But you've also got Emery to loop a bunch of utility artifacts that are in the deck, and you've got Grinding Station to mill people out. It's a good time to be had by all. I mean, you can start just about any deck with four Ragavan and four Ledger Shredder and feel like you're going to do some serious work in Modern. And then the rest of this was pretty straightforward. Fourth and eighth was Blue-Red Murktide, a perennial uh, favorite for top eights since the release of Modern Horizons 2. And then likewise, Shardless Rhinos has been in similar position uh, since we had got Shardless Agent back in the format and it was able to leverage the... Uh, free Rhino, two 4-4 four, four Rhinos that they get out of the Modern Horizons one-card Crashing Footfalls. Yep, uh, this is a, a fun, fun thing. I love that we went from split spells being too good because you could cascade into them, and now that everything is the added cost. You can play Fire and Ice, and it won't trigger the cascade from uh, Violent Outburst or Shardless Agent. So now we're just like on the other side, and it's super cool. Now, back on Magic Online from the Pioneer Challenge, March 26th, that would have been this past Sunday, we've got the whole thing taken down by Blue-White Spirits, which also finished in fifth. Green-Red Midrange was in second, third, and eighth in a configuration we've seen uh, plenty of times lately. Mono Green continues to uh, show up in top eights for this format and finished in sixth here. And you had a mono-white humans build in 7th. Probably the most interesting deck in this top 8, however, was the 4th place list, which is a 5-color bring-to-light deck. 80, 60 cards, not 80. Uh, and 4 bring-to-light and only 1 Niv-Mizzet Reborn, as opposed to some other versions that we've seen along the way. Oh, sorry, 2 Niv-Mizzet Reborn, uh, as opposed to other versions that have been 4 Niv and lesser amounts of bring-to-light. This mana base is uh, amazing. you got a little bit of everything... But it it looks like it's going to do some amazing work. I love a uh, Miser Alash Norn, Mother of Machines, so that you can get double triggers on all this. Can you imagine doubling up on your Niv-Mizzet trigger? Oh, that's so good. It's pretty crazy to have all these triomes 
in a deck where there's no fetches to go get them end of turn. <laughs> yeah, you're just like, playing these the hard way. Yeah, they they just come in on come in tapped, and that's how it is. Now, there's a whole bunch of other lands that they can help you out untapped, but it's a it's a painful mana base in the sense that it is either injuring your life total or slowing you down. Uh, so I think that is uh, certainly interesting versus the versions that have shown up in modern along the way. Moving on over to the top paper movers, we kick things off with a Mana Gorger Hydra variant from a secret layer last year, going 12 to 1650. That's almost 38% gains. Mana Gorger Hydra shouldn't be underestimated as there are 41,000 decks reported playing it on EDH Rec, and I believe the original printing was Magic Origins, if I'm not mistaken. I'm honestly I'm having trouble remembering which Hydra it is. Is this the tiny one that gets huge? Yeah, this is the one that every time anybody casts a spell, it gets a plus one, plus one counter. Yep, uh, that is a very straightforward card. We've got a lot of versions of it. It's been in uh, three different commander decks, and it was, first showing was in Magic Origins. Yeah. We've got Femorif Enchantress, a reserve list enchantments card from Visions. That's a long, long time ago. Going 14 to $20 on the back of Tom the Bomb, presumably. The cute thing here is that unlike... Uh, most of the other enchantment-specific commanders from the past, Tom expects to have a bunch of enchantments go to the graveyard on a regular basis because the sagas run out and hit the yard. Femorif triggers off enchantments hitting the yard, which makes this a pretty reasonable include in that build. I mean, I wrote a whole article about Tom the Bomb a week or two ago, and I completely forgot about this. It being on the reserve list just makes it that much stronger a spec card. Ah, I'm annoyed I missed this. Soul Flare Foils from Fate Reforged have done a bit of a roller coaster over the last decade or so, and the foils showed a, a little a spark of life going two to three dollars on Emergent Pioneer play that's been showing up lately. I think it was a Soul Flare deck that either took down one of the challenges this weekend or was at least top four. And we've also got Nylea's Colossus, a Commander 2018 card going 750 to 14. Probably also a potential Tom Bombadil spec. It gives a creature power and toughness equal to. No, you just uh, you just double up, but it's seven oh, you, mana. You you double a creature's power and toughness whenever an enchantment comes into the. Uh, whenever whenever the Colossus or another enchantment hits the battlefield, yes, it's a constellation Correct. card. Right. Yes. I'm not convinced. It's... I I'm not convinced that would make a Tom build if I was building. Well, I think the main thing here is that uh, it was only in the Commander 2018 decks, and it has not been reprinted since. There's been nothing, not even a list copy. Sure. So this is all just, there were probably two or three copies that sold, and now it's up several dollars. Soldevi Excavations is another reserve list card. It's seen no major play changes, nor is it relevant for any particular commander that I'm aware of, and yet it's been pushed up 24 to 44. That looks just like low supply tinkering on TCG Player for the most part to me. We've also got And They Shall Know No Fear as the surge targeted surge foil of the week. These went 14 to 28, 100% gains. Whether or not you have a market for them on the flip side of that is anybody's guess, since this is not a one of the even top 20 cards in the 40k decks i was gonna say it's just a, a really awesome card i think it saw a little play in some of the humans decks because it's awesome for protecting one creature type as long as you're playing white and uh you know it's up there if you're on a tribal deck and you're playing white it's just as good as um one, the one in a green uh gives hexproof and indestructible to everything you have i forget the name of I'm actually wrong about it too. It's it's better than top twenty. It's exactly tenth place on EDH rec, and it's written in eight thousand decks reported. So it's not that crazy to go after these, I suppose. Yeah, it seems good. Uh, moving right along here, we've got Hallowed Moonlight foils from Origins. This is the only printing uh, foil printing of this card. I believe it has a list non foil. Going twenty four to fifty dollars, and it has basically been cleaned out. There are no near mint foils under a hundred dollars left on TCG Player. I found my Russian foil <laughs> sitting in a box somewhere this afternoon, so I guess I should post that. Try to get it sold. That's a good find from two thousand fifteen. You know, presumably this is uh, people going after the card because it's being used to combat creativity decks that are doing a lot of work in Pioneer right now. 
That's a pretty amazing piece of sideboard tech for something like this. Also good if they're cascading into rhinos. It basically reads counter, transmogrify, or creativity, and draw a card for two. That seems exactly right. The fact that you get to draw the card, so it'll never really be dead dead. Yep, it cycles at minimum. Uh, and, and in those decks, it's never going to be dead anyway, because if you draw it opening hand, it's as long as you see it before they combo off, it's going to have a relevant line of text on it. Blue Elemental Bat Blast Foils from uh, the Signature Spellbook series for Jace, going 275 to 6. This is on the back of no recent reprints for this. It's not that big a deal in EDH or anything, but it still sees play in Legacy and Vintage, and people assumed that Reb and Beb would show up in Dominaria Remastered, but they didn't. So there hasn't been a, a pr- all that many printings of these cards in the last 10 years, and as a result, there is room for these foils to float. Yeah, I think we we haven't gotten a serious amount of product on this since uh, Masters 25. And so that means we it, Masters 25 was 2018. So that's a long time ago. Five years. And yeah, five whole years. Next, we've got Neoform Foils. That's an uncommon from War of the Spark. And I'm pretty sure it was a pick on this cast when it was under $10. Those foils have now gone 12 to 30 on the back of recent Pioneer play, where it's a four of in the deck that is making use of it. And I don't remember what exactly the entry point was, but anybody who got caught holding those earlier and couldn't unload them is now in a real good position to uh, make some long-term profit. We've also got Machine God's Effigy Old Borders out of the Brothers War Commander decks, although I believe the and I believe it's the the old borders are in the decks themselves. That's not is that a card you can pull out of the collector boosters? You can't pull the old board the old board because the whole deck was old border, right? And then uh, you can get an extended art version in the collector boosters. In the collector boosters, yes. Right, right, right. So this is the the version from the decks going two to five dollars on the back of it being in five thousand decks on EDH Rec so far. I think it's the fourth most played of the BRC cards. To me, that that smells like targeting. That doesn't seem like a natural drain out, and I wouldn't expect to be able to flip these into ten or fifteen dollar demand automatically out of this so i guess we'll have to monitor those and see how they do we've also got chancellor of the annex foils from new phyrexia these have been rising on the back of that modern deck we've talked about a few times over the last three months going in theory from 34 to 100 i don't know what the real demand is for foil chancellor of the annex i think if i could get it out over 50 haven't gotten in a lot lower geez i think if i can get out over 30 i'm just i'm happy I'm inclined to agree with you on that. If you got in at a reasonable price and you can get out for, you know, set your price to 75 and if it'll sell quickly, then congratulations, take your double up uh, and don't wait around for the whole thing to get super duper expensive. You're already cashing in. I find myself wondering if I have some of these lying around in a bad specs box somewhere. I'm going to have to go take a look. Uh, we've also got Staff of the Storyteller Extended Arts as the top gainer of the week. $0.75 cents to $11, supposedly. It's only in 2600 EDH Rex, so I'm very skeptical of this. And that's despite having just pulled a copy <laughs> out of a stack two days ago. It's sitting right in front of me on the desk. This is a artifact for one and a white. When Staff of the Storyteller enters the battlefield, create a 1-1 white spirit creature token with flying. Whenever you create one or more creature tokens, put a story counter on Staff, and then white tap, remove a story counter from Staff of the Storyteller, draw a card. This is interesting because it does relevant things in token generation versions of Counters Matters decks, some kind of obtuse builds of Atraxa, but its most its most natural home in EDH right now is probably in Ginny Fey and Jitmir builds where you're building tons of tokens and turning them into dogs and cats. This would create a 3-1 Vigilance Dog or a 2-2 Hasty Cat as soon as it came into play, and then set you up to draw a card per turn mini- per turn cycle minimum from there on out, all for 2 mana plus 1 per draw, which is pretty solid in a tokens deck. It does seem pretty good. There's a card that allows us to draw a card, we tap and draw a card if a creature token came into play this turn. I don't recall what the name of that card is. However, uh, this is better even though it requires white mana. So not every token deck wants white mana. I would imagine almost all of them do. But the price has changed dramatically in just a couple of days. I'm looking at the history, and on the 25th it was selling solidly for uh, $3. And now two days later everything is in the uh, 7 and 8 category. So 
if you've got them, I would sell them. Oh yeah, like if you can get anything over five six bucks on these, go ahead and sell into this because there's just no way that this is gonna hold. Yeah, this is a set we're we're still opening, and I would expect it to still be showing up for the next you know couple months. Yeah, it's not a BRC card; it's an ONC card. So yeah, there's there's room for more of these to come into the market. Looking at the top Magic Online movers of the week, we've got Bone Crusher Giant Showcase versions from uh, Eldraine, 5.92 ticks to 8.41. That's going to be their green, red decks and Pioneer driving that for 40% plus gains. We've got Mana Confluence out of Born of the Gods going 13.45 ticks to 25.11. That's 87% on the back, probably mostly of Abzan Greasefang using it to make to smooth out its mana base. Then you've got Demi Lich out of AFR, one tick to 2.73, but I, and I assume this is a blue-red Pioneer build, but I couldn't find any recent results for Demi Lich to justify the jump. So I don't know if those just haven't shown up uh, on the tourney results that I'm scanning, if there was a big paper result that I didn't catch, um, but I'm assuming somebody caught wind of a significant tournament result for Demi Lich and took another look at them. Well, it looks like there's a ton of them available on TCG Player. It doesn't show any signs of a, a new spike, so maybe we'll see it on the top paper movers in a week or two. I'm not certain either. When you see a major spike like this from Magic Online results, I wouldn't get excited about chasing paper until you see the paper results catch up, um, or at least you see the drain on the paper cards. Beyond that, I'm just staying clear. Demolish just hasn't has not generated... Generated a lot of hype up front, but hasn't lived up to it over time. So uh, for the most part, when I see related decks in Pioneer, they tend to be more focused on Arc Light Phoenix than they are on Demolich, although sometimes they mix the two together. All right, moving on over to cards to watch. I'm going to kick things off with an Oil Slick card. There was a conversation in our Discord today about how the underpriced units that got sold through on Amazon, where I believe people were able to snap off $40 uh, complete bundles, because Amazon uh, mispriced them, has dragged down the oil slick market alongside just oil slicks having, you know, being three to four weeks old, have now had a chance to mature and hollow out as would be normal in terms of the price sliding down the price curve. Now, when you start talking about which oil slicks might be good for future holds, though, as the prices continue to, to drop, I think you have to talk, start by talking about Sword of Forge and Frontier oil slick. For sure, Elish Norn and Atraxa are the two most uh, expensive and probably the cards with the broadest play pattern overall and the highest popularity. But Sword did not get a sexy version in the collector boosters for All Will Be One because of the way that they structured the variety of showcase treatments. So there was no extended art version of Sword of Forge and Frontier. There's just regular pre-release and uh, pack foil. And that means that the oil slick foils of Sword of Forge and Frontier are the fanciest version available and likely to be for quite some time. There are copies of these available for about $35 currently on TCG Player. I'm setting my price target here at about $30. In Japan this weekend, I bought them for under $20. But you need to have your Japan hookups uh, ready to roll if you want to repeat that trick. Generally speaking, the oil slicks that are EDH-focused tend to be undervalued in Japan alongside... You know, which is true almost all the time with EDH-only cards that are printed in premium. Some of the best buys I make in Japan uh, tend to be along those lines. This past weekend, I picked up, let's see, Oil Slick Mondrox at 29.50 yen, which is $22 versus $46 on TCG Player. Well, arbitrage is wonderful when you've got that ready to roll. Good job. Yeah, so... In terms of U.S. and European pricing, I think swords anywhere near 30 or below are probably a pretty safe bet to get up to 50 given 12 to 18 months. It's in 7,000 decks on EDH Rec so far. It's probably going to see onesie twosie play occasionally in either Pioneer or Modern. And again, only fancy version of the card. I have no complaints with this. This is a very solid pick. Uh, I'm looking at uh, what the distribution patterns are. You know, we're not going to get a big crack of oil slicks anytime soon you are correct that they have not bothered with even a non-foil version of this art as yet there will eventually be a retro 
version of this card for sure like they uh but that is in an unknown uncertain future and that doesn't mean that this is any less of a great buy because of it coming from the oil slicks rather than collector boosters so you could talk me into just about any oil slick card uh, that was my contribution to the discord and yeah this is great and i'm pro i've already bought one for one commander deck and when we're done i'm very likely to go pick up another one or two all right what's your first selection this week uh, my first pick this week is building off of Tom the Bomb. I believe that the time is right to go in on Sigil of the Empty Throne Old Border Foils from Time Spiral Remastered. We've got Sigil in around 39,000 EDH rec decks. It's a pretty standard card to add to when enchantment matters. If you don't remember, it's three white-white. Whenever you have an enchantment come into play or whenever you cast. Let me check real quick which it is. Whenever you cast an enchantment spell, create a 4-4 white angel token with flying. So that means every time you cast a saga, you're going to get a 4-4 angel to play with. Uh, we were talking about the Time Spiral Remastered versions. That means there's definitely no more coming. And remember, you only got like 1.3 or something per box. So the there's no more coming. And right now you can get them for around $10. I'm sorry, no, uh, $17 is my pick and i'm pretty conservatively picking it to go to 30 dollars. this is the only special version of sigil out there and given its edh patterns and the fact we've got tom decks and a new enchantment deck coming in the summer with commander masters this seems like a pretty safe pick to me tons of non-foil versions of the card yes it is a lock to be reprinted in some way probably in the actual enchantment deck that comes Sure. And so the only foils were in Magic Origins and Time Spiral Remastered, right? So we're looking at the TSR Retro Foils, which of course are one in every 27 packs. And then you have to, the odds of getting any particular one are much, much lower than that because you have to multiply that by the entirety of that card list. We're down to just 15 listings on TCG Player of these. They're sitting at about $14. They started higher they were 16 or so a year ago on tcg player so they've actually drifted down a little bit but it's the ramp is very steep so i think you're probably right it's not even you don't even need tom tom just kind of adds to the mix here all all of the enchantments matters decks like go shintai and so forth right typically run this anyway you also have sithis that finds room for this typically so yeah i think enchantments is a has four or five relevant commanders to support it at this point, and these are in low supply. So, yeah, seems solid to me. I've got a much more controversial pick, which is my first time digging my toes in these waters in the circumstance of calling something out as a spec for Magic 30th. I've tried to stay mostly out of that because beyond telling people that the $1,000 boxes were almost certainly going to work, which they did, people got out on those at fifteen or 1600 in the first two weeks if they wanted to. I spent plenty of time arguing with people on social media about the topic, and I wanted my <laughs> comments to be as unbiased as they could be. So I bought one box, I sold it, made my money, and got out, and I've kept my hands clean since then. But we were talking about this set again in the Discord today, and I started poking around and realized that as a blue duel, Tundra 30th, not even retro, which are almost impossible to find, but the modern copies are pretty hard to find. When I started looking at it this afternoon, Card Kingdom had four in stock at three fifty a piece. There was one on eBay at about three fifty. There was two on TCG Player, one at two seventy seven, which I bought, and the remaining copy is listed at twelve seventy eight sixty three, which is probably you know a placeholder price on TCG. That's the Travis Player. price, yeah, yeah. Over in Europe, on Card Market, there's a single copy listed because the stores there haven't even got their boxes yet. So that copy is listed at 700 euro. And here's the part that people still probably haven't fully clued in on. Given that we know that from the total number of units sold on the day of the sale that failed and was cut off, adding in all the units that are given to for free to LGSs that people thought were going to crash the price completely... That simply hasn't happened, and the vast majority of those have already percolated through the system, and stores have been able to get out on those between 1150 and 1400 over the last couple of weeks. 
there are some units that will land overseas that may generate relevant copies of stuff but collectors are now on the watch because even if we're just talking about the modern frame dual lands and keep in mind those drop twice as often as all the other rares in this correct even still you have 10,000 units sold which is about how many seem to be making their way into the market that's all there can be and a lot of those are getting sucked into collections never to appear again so my game plan here on the three copies I, I snapped off, two were a card kingdom credit exit. I happened to have like 750 sitting around. So two at 350 seemed fine. The 277 copies seemed like a, a snap buy on TCG player. So this is kind of a sketchy pick in the sense that there isn't very much inventory left to target. You're going to have to go dredge around on eBay or other vendor uh, stores and put your notifications on. Keep an eye on card market, look at other places overseas, and go on Facebook and wherever else to try to track down copies to even fill this suggestion I'm making to you. But that's why, if you can go, if you can track these down, these are worth looking at. And the thing is, it's not really limited to Tundra. You can look at the other duels because with all the people building a Traxa, for instance, this spring. Trust me, there are just in our Discord several people that are are collecting the retro and or modern frame duels just to use in their EDH decks just to play with our small group. You know, we have a we have a Discord member that has all 10 of the retros now. That's a that's a nice thing to collect. The retros look even better than than the moderns for sure. They don't have the uh, the, the colors on both pop really well. They look great in person. The retros clearly look better than the moderns, but of those, there are there are even less, right? Like there is there's something like sub 200 copies of the retros in existence. Now, this could change if Wizards decides to find a way to pump more of what they presumably produced into the market instead of destroying it. It's not impossible for Wizards to send out another round of these to stores in three months or something and slip that into the market. So th- this isn't bulletproof, but I think that that scenario is fairly unlikely. And your worst case scenario here is you have a really great looking duel that you can slide into your EDH decks. Your best case scenario is in the process of playing that in a double sleeved environment for a while, you could end up doubling or tripling. I'm going to go relatively modest here and claim that $350 or so Tundras that you might lay your hands on this month are going to get up to 500 in 12 to 18 months and just leave it at that. Uh, do you remember how many copies, excuse me, how many boxes our estimate was? We, we, 10,000 seems about right for how many got into the wild. The estimates I posted in the best ideas channel in our discord were based on 30,000 boxes, which was 120,000 packs. Right. So it was around a, a third. Yeah. It turned out that, that the results were closer to a third of that. Yeah, they so, pulled the plug after 40-odd minutes or something crazy. Yeah. So there are not 4,000 modern frame duels. There are maximum 1,000 or so, and probably in terms of market-facing copies, single-digit hundreds. That's that's reasonable. I think this would be a good time to get in on a Tundra this way. Uh, do you... Let me check real quick. What's the price on just a regular revised Tundra right now? Well, I yeah, I've got that up in front of me. Regular Tundras are 470 market price near mint, and there's some All copies right. around 450. So for an extra 100 you can get a revised, but having held both in hands, it's not even close actually. The re- revised yeah. duels are not actually aesthetically pleasing cards. They have a nostalgia <laughs> value. But as an art yes. director, let me tell you, the 30th edition cards look better. I, I do mm-hmm. miss the uh, interlocking or the um, telescoped... Uh, bullseye. I always thought of it as a square bullseye. Yeah, kind of like a square bullseye pattern that was on those cards. I do prefer that, for sure. But the whole rest of the card from the white border, which is I, I have always considered atrocious, to the faded art is greatly improved upon by the 30th edition versions. I mean, you got to put them in hand to judge for yourself and see what you prefer. And people that say, you know, why would wouldn't I get an alpha life lace instead of a 30th edition. 
Life in that part- in that particular case, <laughs> if you're looking to collect, you're probably collecting both. Like if you're a life lace collector, yeah. If you're a collector, or you're a completionist, you're getting both anyway. It's not like you weren't getting them to play with; you were getting them as part of some kind of collection. So, if you want to play Legacy, if you want to play Vintage, then for the extra hundred dollars, you get cards you can play in those formats that you can also play in EDH. That's kind of a no-brainer in that scenario. But what people are not fully grasping is that this has become a pure collectible for Magic collectors. It doesn't actually matter that you can play these in EDH, which you mostly can, but that's not even that relevant. That's not why they are commanding the prices they are. It's a pure supply-side play. You're talking about cards that have low single-digit thousands down to low single-digit hundreds of copies in the entire world, and that is about as pure a collectible as you can get. And since this is a billion-dollar brand, anything that only has a couple hundred copies is going to command a premium price. That has been demonstrated amply with this product. There are also retro versions to look at for sure, but those are going one, two, three, four, or five thousand dollars, depending on which retro duel you're talking about. So... This is a way to get in a, on a little bit of the 30th action, on a, the version that is still, in the grand scheme of things, very low supply, way less of these than there are revised duels. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, by a uh, factor of 50, 50 times or 100 times or something minimum. We, I'd have to go back and look at what exactly the math was, but these are, when we were, when I did the math, I believe I came up with a figure that... There were fewer uh, retro, no, not even re- fewer modern frame than unlimited. Unlimited is more frequent. There's more copies out there than there are of the modern frame 30th anniversary dual lands. And you know everything you said is correct. I'm with you on the collectors as well. I think that the ability to collect something which hasn't been able to be opened in a booster pack in 25 years or however long we're talking here is really high and you can get in for a dual land that any commander group would let you play you know the gold border ones are still a thing that people play with and it will only make a difference in terms of legality if you go for a a legacy constructed event so this is and 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 frankly that's and frankly that's not who this product was aimed at in the first place. No, not even a little bit. So yeah, I'm with you. This is a, a good call. And do you think that other thirtieths are worth moving in on if you like the look of them, or is this just something you noticed in terms of dual lands? I, I think this month is likely to be, and if you're in Europe, whenever the inventory lands there, is likely to be your best four week period for entry points. Because there are people going around sniping stuff off and flipping them or sniping stuff off and slotting them into their collections and trying to get full sets of this stuff. Because keep in mind that the number of full sets is possible is very, very low. Very small. Right. Like there will be probably no more than something like 25 complete sets in the world. Maybe 50 max. Max, max. It's, it's expensive <laughs> and, diff- and time consuming to put that, that set together. Which is exactly what magic players love to do. Or at least, you know, there's enough... Well, high-end magic collectors like my dad? Yeah, yeah that's what they like to do. And, and Your he... dad... Uh, we don't, we're not even going to bring your dad into this conversation. Well, he's relevant because there's enough guys like him around that haven't even necessarily started kicking that can around. Like, he will eventually notice that he doesn't have these and yeah, start That's what I was going to say. I know that most folks don't know your dad, and your dad's a lovely human being. I mean, he has, he has an impressive magic collection, so if you believe that there are 10,000 guys like him with in the world. St- strong income, upcoming retirements, and collections to build on, then, you know, even if 1% of those guys try to get complete sets that haven't yet started that, that's going to float prices on, on the go forward. So the biggest risk here is more of the product enters the market after the fact, like significantly more than people are expecting. And or Wizards kicks the door open on reserve list completely and says, fuck it, and just starts printing this shit. And next year we get vintage masters and rare duels drop under $100 and they're playable versions. That is quite the scenario you're painting. I would, I mean, this is as far as they're willing to go to to nudge the reserve list. 
I would not be surprised for them to do something else like this and throw uh, a sprinkle more duels in, you know, one every 100. We haven't gotten serialized dual lands yet, so, you know, there's there's nothing to stop them from anything doing like that. Yeah, so th- there could be more of that action coming. I suspect you have a chance here to get in on something that they are gun-shy enough about that they're going to let it settle for a while. Um, if there was additional projects like this planned for the first two quarters of this year, I would imagine we won't see them hit. They could still hit at the end, towards the end of the year if they think that, that things have cooled off, but I suspect it's going to be more like a 2024 thing before they push us back in that direction. So anyway, uh, if you can track down a modern frame 30th edition Tundra anywhere near 350, I think you'd be doing all right. And if you can't find Tundras, just look at some of the other duels and triangulate pricing on those to figure out what you might want to grab. I'm on board with that. That sounds like a a good buy to make. Now, your final selection this week in Cards to Watch is a card that I've definitely claimed people should go in on at some prior juncture, I'm going to say maybe four years ago, and I almost certainly screwed people over as the card got banned in modern. <laughs> uh, and we're talking about Eye of Ugin here. Uh, I'm picking the Expedition version from Battle for Zendikar. Sweet frame. There's a commander deck coming out this August that has the Sliver King. We talked about that uh, whenever I picked Manawef Sliver, which was three or four weeks ago, and it immediately bumped. I think that Eye of Ugin is going to have a very upward, upwards trajectory once people figure out, oh snap, I really need to have this card. Please remember that Eye of Ugin works even if the card has a colored mana symbol on it, it just has to have the Devoid ability, which all of them so far have had, except for maybe Slivdrazi Monstrosity or whatever the heck that thing is. So. Uh, right now you can get them on TCG Player. There's a few copies around $45, $50, and I think they're going to hit 100 again. They have hit 100 before, like you were talking about when this was when Eldrazi were legal and modern. Eye of Ugin was just a staple and a half. You could do ridiculous things with it, and I think that it's it's due to go crazy again. You can also pick up the Judge Foil, which at $15 to $20 is also a very good choice as well. There's not that many Worldwake foils left over, but you definitely want to be going for fancy ones. Again, I think that this is a very likely include in the Commander Masters pre-con, even though it's not super expensive. It's pricey enough to where it would be worth including. Let's see, how much are the regular ones right now? I, I'm still holding some of these these BFC Expedition Eye of Ugans in the bad specs box that I were purchased over $100, so I'm a little gun-shy on those. Uh, probably irrationally so. I think your logic is solid here. I just went ahead and bought, snapped off four of the Judge promos at under $15, because that seems like more likely to triple than the a single copy of the Expedition at 45 going to 150 I don't think it'll go to 150, but I, th- I see where you're coming from. Where the judge promo is a good place to get in at. This was from three years ago. It was a 2020 edition. So either way, you're going to do quite well picking up some foil versions. There is the Modern Masters foil, which is real basic looking at around 15. Worldwake foils are less than the Expedition versions. So you're you're not going to go wrong if you pick up a regular one. I think. A $10 land is a quite possible inclusion in a extra-priced Commander Masters pre-con deck. So uh, be aware that non-foils are coming. and Yeah, probably. So don't be surprised when you see that in there because you've already picked up your super shiny special version. Alrighty. Wrap things up this week. We're just going to quickly go over the two big card reveals for March of the Machine. They showed us two very important characters in their latest incarnations. The first is Elspeth, who we predicted last week was probably going to be either an angel or an angel planeswalker. Turns out I was right. She's an angel planeswalker. We now have uh, a look at Archangel Elspeth, two double white for a four loyalty legendary planeswalker Elspeth. Uh, Would have been cute if they made it angel planeswalker. Right. Because... Let Giada cast her. Yeah. So this is plus one, create a 1-1 white soldier creature token with lifelink. 
Minus two, put two plus one plus one counters on target creature. It becomes an angel in addition to its other types and gains flying. Pretty cute that that's not for the turn. That's just permanent. And then minus six, return all non-land permanent cards with mana value three or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. So a super Lurus style ability. This card looks very good to me. It, it reminds me of the original Elspeth. It has calls back to Elspeth Knight Errant. Um, but it's better just in, in just about every way. Hmm. Is it better than Knight Errant? It makes a life. It makes a lifelink token, which is definitely good. So both of those, I believe, Elspeth Knight Errant also started with four counters, correct? Because you had to count. You had to count. Yeah, you had to count up to eight. So so that one just made a one-one soldier. Right. It made a creature plus three, plus three, plus three, and flying until end of turn. Gave it the jump. So not, yeah. but not permanently. And then the minus eight was you. all of your stuff gets indestructible. It's pretty silly. I think that Archangel Elspeth is indeed going to be extremely popular in standard. And it's not hard to see it being built around in a lot of other ways, too. This seems like an awesome card in most commander settings. I think that two white-white for a four loyalty uh, plus one to make a, a token with lifelink that's a good control deck uh, planeswalker ability because you want to be able to defend yourself and just delay things until you can wipe the board and continue to gain control over everything i don't know how well that plays with like being in a control deck how well this ultimate plays but you're not really worrying about that you're going to plus one plus one then you'll minus it to make yourself a 3-3 flying lifelinker, which will turn a battle really quick. And I think that we're going to see a lot of this Elspeth. I don't know how cheap she's going to get. I doubt it. But we'll see uh, what else is in this set, because this set looks like it's juiced as heck. There's a ton of really good four cast and cost white cards in Standard right now, but they some of them are going to rotate, and this will be left behind. And it, it's its moment in the spotlight therefore might be further down the road you need the wandering emperor to rotate yes you, you've got uh phyrexian vindicator that just came out in one you've got um what's the the other four drop in white that i'm thinking of sarah something or other lets you sarah paragon sure sarah paragon's out there i mean this thing can be aggro it can be control ish you know, in an aggro deck, if you've got a 3-3 three, three that you played for 2 on turn 2, and on turn 4 you drop this and turn the 3-3 three, three into a 5-5 five, five and it gains flying, that's no joke. And in those aggro decks, this minus 6 is a lot easier to achieve than the minus 8 on Knight Errant, um, where you could, they wipe, you know, in Pioneer they Supreme Verdict away your, your 3 or 4 creatures or whatever, and then this goes off the turn after because it's left behind and brings them all back. I mean, that's, that's some good pressure. Ultimately, however, I think that this is more of a fan card that will be very popular with casuals and have really good showcase appeal as opposed to it necessarily being a fantastic constructed card. It's going to see some standard play probably. I don't know if it makes it into Pioneer EDH. It will certainly see play in Angel decks and decks that want to bring a bunch of stuff back from the graveyard. Like I'd probably try pulling, putting this into Zur the Enchanter. Because Zur right. is tutoring up a bunch of three cast and cost enchantments and putting them on Zur, and then later they kill Zur, the enchantments fall off into the yard. The, Get them all back. Yeah, this could bring them all back. This also works if your Planeswalker build of Atraxa focuses on smaller Planeswalkers, because under a doubling season, this would be able to go off right away and still leave two loyalty. So, And it could bring back a Narset and an Ashiok and a bunch of other stuff. Uh and one of the things it could bring back, for instance, in that scenario, is this new version of Ren. So, of course, we had Ren and 6, we had Ren and 7, now we've got Ren and Realmbreaker. In the lore, Realmbreaker is the world tree from Kaldheim that has been copied slash corrupted by the Phyrexians, in which they are using to infiltrate all the other realms. And the strategy they come up with in the lore is that Ren is going to bond with this tree and pull it away from its purpose. So this is a three casting costs Planeswalker, one and two green, uh, legendary Planeswalker Ren, four loyalty on three casting costs, very solid. It instantly gives all your lands add one mana of any color. So just fixes your mana. 
The plus one is up to one target land you control becomes a 3-3 elemental creature with vigilance, hexproof, and haste until your next turn. So that land, say you wanted to, you had four lands when you cast Ren, that land can attack uh, with vigilance, hexproof, haste, and then still be tapped to do something else on that turn. The minus two is mill three cards. You may put a permanent card from among the milled cards into your hand. And the minus seven is you get an emblem with you may play lands and cast permanent spells from your graveyard, which Muldrotha is certainly into. <laughs> so there's a lot of good things going on here. Uh, one thing I, I've come to appreciate is this second ability where you mill a certain number of cards and then you get something back. Uh, that's really close to uh, draw a card. Because you're probably going to get, at worst, in a random deck, whether it's Commander or what other format, you're going to end up hitting at least a land in three cards. You know, you're something like 89 or something percent to hit in a Commander deck if you're at 37 lands. I think that the plus one can be really good, it can be really bad. It's hard to go wrong with Hexproof and Haste and Vigilance. Because that all lasts until your next turn. It doesn't go away. You are making yourself vulnerable if you're in a commander game full of sweepers. You turn your creature into a land, and now your land is dead. But turn that, your land uh, into a creature, you mean? Yeah, what I say? Creature into a land. But I feel oh. <laughs> but yes, if, it's, if you're going for that emblem, that emblem is where it's at. You will never be short of things to do if you can manage to pull off that emblem. Let's not forget... One green green, all lands you control become rainbow lands. That's pretty strong, too. Uh, I'm a big fan of being able to just auto-tap any lands because I got Chromatic Lantern out with my Dragon deck. And I'm going to be thinking about doing this because being able to work towards that ultimate makes me happy. Ultimately, Atraxa is still the number one commander. Has been for ages. This fits right into Atraxa Planeswalkers where it does all the things you want to do. Fixes your mana. Uh, give, sets up blockers to defend your planeswalkers. Uh, that blocker has hexproof, so they can't get it out of the way, and lets you pull permanents back that you've milled. So it's got card vanish built in. And if you play it into a doubling season or a Vorinclex, then it's one of the many ultimates that can go off and dominate the game from there on out. Yeah, you're going to be a real happy camper if you manage to three mana, and now you have the emblem and you'd still have this in play because it's only a minus seven that is some some beautiful beautiful things happening now over over and constructed i would not be surprised to see standard decks running four copies of this i will not be super surprised to see it show up as a four of in pioneer brews similar to tyvar jubilant brawler i think these are these two planeswalkers are in and around the same power level Tyvar hasn't really blown anyone away yet in Pioneer and Modern. It's done. There's been a bunch of testing around it, but we have not seen it top eight yet. So for those formats, I think Ren is in a similar position where it may well be a very synergistic piece in a specific build and become a four of there. If that's true, its price is going to be buoyed pretty high because it's a, a four of Mythic that sees play in Standard and EDH and one of Pioneer or Modern is is like Shieldred, Elish Norn type territory. Um, and I just posted a update for Pro Traders earlier today um, looking at my analysis of Shieldred from back in November where I said, it is very likely that $50 copies of Shieldred are going to end up being 70 by the spring because that's similar to what happened with the Meat Hook Massacre, which was a card printed in a fall set, Black Mythic, that saw that same kind of multi-format play and if Ren sees that kind of play, she can easily perform in that way as well. She can, you know, start out very expensive, and then we get about a month out, and she drops to sub-40, sub-30, sub-20, depending on where she's being played, and then starts a climb up relatively quickly on the back of very strong play demand. I'm with you that if it shows up in that those formats with that level of play, that she's got the that Ren has the long term potential. I'm not as certain as you are that that Ren will go the Shieldred path, but if it shows early signs of that, I will I will be ready to move on it. 
one of the things that's relevant to mention with Shieldred is that she's done that well without any modern play. Shieldred's not played in any modern deck of relevance. That's also very fun. So it's standard Pioneer and EDH that's driving that. And a large chunk of that is the EDH demand. And I think Ren for EDH is unquestioned. If you're there, if you're running a multicolored deck, you can find uses for all of these abilities. So uh, I think Ren is going to be a very, very popular uh, Planeswalker on three mana. I would not sleep on that at all. I think Archangel Elspeth is a very cool fan-centric card that is going to be popular. And the art for the borderless version of that is fantastic. So I would not at all be surprised to see those gain value over time just as a pure collectible. I agree with you on that. I do love whenever they go over, whenever they uh, go in front of the frame. Makes me happy. Alrighty, so I guess that's a wrap for this week. Where can folks find you online, my friend? You can find me online at Word of Commander on Twitter, as well as my articles every Friday on mtgprice.com. You guys can find me on Twitter at mtgcritic, as well as via my occasional articles on mtgprice.com and my constant haunting of the Pro Trader Discord. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mggprice.com Pro Trader service for just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, low-cost group buys, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. I think we're currently taking orders for March of the Machine collector boosters, for Lord of the Rings collector boosters, for Commander Masters and One Piece, the third set of that game. Wonderful to have that value on top of all the other value you get. Once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Please use the promo code FINANCE5, that's FINANCE with a number 5, during checkout at Cool Stuff, Inc. to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Thanks for another great discussion, James. I can't wait for next week. Thank you, Cliff, and we'll see all of you next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance.